The opinions in the following podcast are expressly my own and do not reflect those of my employer, my administrator, my coworkers, my students, or the parents of my students. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Welcome to Friday Night Pints. Why don't you pour yourself a drink, have a seat, and get comfortable. The goal of this podcast is to talk a little bit about well, my week in teaching, provide some commentary on what I'm noticing in educational trends, reflect a bit on my last 10 years of teaching, and reminisce a little bit about well how I got to where I am and how I'm going to get out of that spot. Uh, as you're hearing the disclaimer at the top of the podcast, this is not in any way affiliated with my employer, nor am I going to mention the school district or school by name. In fact, I'm going to change everybody's name around because, well, it's probably safer that way. I don't intend to talk about any confidential topics, um, special ed issues, issues of legal confidentiality and all that jazzle, more or less kept under wraps, because, well, I really don't want to get sued. Before we get too into, well, my week in teaching, I thought I would kind of give you an overview of what this podcast is going to be about. Part of it is inspired by a move in our district by one of our coordinators at our central office to involve more teachers in Web 2.0. And that's the idea that the Internet is as much about sharing information as finding information. It's also partially motivated from my own interests and some uh, cajoling from coworkers to record myself more often. They apparently think I have a phenomenal sense of humor. I think they're crazy, but, or just really easily amused. And um, so that's part of the motivation. I actually have another podcast that my wife and I do about the online game World of Warcraft. It's called The Elfin Dwarf. Uh, it's also on Podbean at theelfindwarf.podbean.com. And it's a lot of fun to do. We do it every Sunday. We have a good time. We talk. We go out to breakfast beforehand to kind of plan the show. And it's it's another thing that we get to do together. Now, what makes this podcast a little different is that most of the time it's just going to be me. It's a solo deal. I uh, probably will bring in some friends and some coworkers, um, other teachers, and talk about specific topics as we go along. But for the most part, it's just kind of me sitting down for half an hour on Friday night after the week's over, putting my feet up, cracking open a pint, and you know, rambling about the week. Some of the shows will be topic-oriented, where I'll say, let's this week talk about merit pay. And some will be kind of more along the lines of, well, these are some funny things that happened this week I wanted to share with you. I welcome email and suggestions for where to go or things to discuss or if you want to agree with me or disagree with me or share an insight I might have overlooked, that would be very much welcomed. This is as much a place for starting discussion as it is for idle rambling. Speaking of idle rambling, uh, this week had some, some odd twists on it. I, uh, I was nominated for Teacher of the Year. And um, well, a little about me, I've, I'm 10 years in. I've been teaching a mix of math and physics over that time, mostly math, and a little bit of physics, and that's that's mostly my fault. I I had the perfect gig, and that was a straight docket of of all physics, mostly honors, even AP, and I uh, I blew it. I made some rookie mistakes, and I thought myself above reproach, and 
and you know, I, I did things that weren't necessarily the smartest moves politically. I burned a lot of bridges with coworkers, and I, I stood my ground a little too firm against the administration on some issues I should have just said, no, this one isn't worth fighting. And uh, the end result is I, I don't teach physics that much anymore. And, you know, that's their right. And I, I do enjoy teaching my math. But I've got a physics class again this year. And one of the young men in it was so impressed with what I had been doing with the class that he nominated me for Teacher of the Year. Now, it's it's supposed to be anonymous. He's I'm not supposed to know who did it. But, unfortunately, he, uh, he hand-wrote his nomination. And uh, this young man's handwriting is distinctive to say the least. So it was pretty clear who had, who had given me the nomination, which I find interesting now in hindsight. It's a conceptual physics class. It's supposed to be a class where I teach them physics without math, where I go over the big ideas in all of physics. It's supposed to be lab-oriented. It's supposed to be hands-on. It's supposed to be interactive. It's supposed to be discussion-based. And for the last, I don't know, three or four weeks now, we've been sliding back into good old kinematics equations and formula and number crunching. And I can see eyes glazing over on a regular basis. It's It's been a fun class to teach, but I know that, well, it's my first year teaching this style of physics. I'm so used to the, the algebra-based or the calculus-based that I haven't really had much of an opportunity to, ex to explore the conceptual side of it. But it's been a fun class. We've had some good class discussions. Um, I've got about a dozen kids in there that really just don't care, but about another dozen to a dozen and a half that do. And so it's been a lot of fun of a class to teach. So one of those young people nominated me for Teacher of the Year, which, you know, was was a great honor. Uh, I didn't win, which is probably for the best. Uh, the teacher who did win truly deserves it. Uh, he throws himself into his job 155%, and, and I always find that very... Very encouraging. Um, and I also know there are many teachers who have been nominated year after year after year. Uh, one of them, who I'm going to call Cindy on this podcast, um, I've had the honor of working with several times as a team teacher. And I believe she has now been nominated four or five years in a row and still hasn't won, which I think is a travesty. But, you know, it's it's... One part popularity, it's not even a popularity contest, actually. Uh, the process we use is that nomination forms are filled out. They are then sent without names or gender identifiers or subject areas over to a, another group who then evaluates the nominations against a standard rubric. And from that selects, quote, the best nomination. So... Part of it isn't just that she got nominated, it's that she got nominated by someone who knew how to make it sound good. And, you know, I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's the way we do it. So, she's always been shut out of the actual winning and is left every year just repeating the mantra, it's an honor just to be nominated. So, that was one, one kind of a twist on my week I wasn't really expecting because I don't think I do Teacher of the Year stuff. You know, I, I do my job. I do my job well. Um... I think I'm a great teacher, actually. Uh, a phenomenal lecturer. I would actually put myself up there as being very, very good at it. Maybe one of the best in our building. But I don't think teaching is just lecturing. It's doing all the other stuff. It's being there for the kids. It's it's putting in the extra hours. It's making the, yourself available almost 24-7. Um, and I'm not quite on that page yet. But that was one, one kind of twist this week. It's not wholly what motivated me to, to start the podcast, but it was a, a factor along the way. So, 
It's one of the interesting things that kind of came up this week in general. So before uh, the day was over today, and uh, these are going to be coming on to you on Fridays, so this is my, you know, put my feet up, crack open a pint kind of discussion, and uh, I'm watching the kids filter out, and walking past my classroom is a young man, uh, the one who actually nominated me for Teacher of the Year this year, and uh, he's got his arm over his girlfriend's shoulder. I presume she was his girlfriend, uh, because the two of them were swapping a piece of gum back and forth. And uh, it was kind of an odd thing to watch, and briefly, in that I don't remember doing that when I was in high school. Um, I don't know if it's a sign of the times or just how much of a prude I was. I was so busy, worried about uh, where I was going and what classes I had, and I never really had time for a girlfriend in high school, and you know, most of the girls that I wanted wouldn't have had me anyways. But it was kind of a, an odd thing to, to observe, and there was a part of me that wishes that when I had been that age, I had had the wisdom that I have now to stop and appreciate you know, doing things like that with someone or, or sharing that kind of time or or just enjoying the moment. Um, I'm a big Buffy fan, and there's a, a great scene in, in season four where Spike and Anya are sitting in a bar together, and Spike's a vampire, and he can't bite people anymore, and he, he turns to her to Anya, who's a, an ex-demon, and says, you know, you miss the killing when it's gone. I just wish I'd stopped more and appreciated it and, you know, stopped and smelled the corpses from time to time. And, uh... I'm not trying to in, indicate violence or anything there. It was a you know a vampire talking. But it's that kind of a... I wonder how much these kids realize how much fun they're having and how much they're going to miss it when it's gone. Um, I'm not sure the PDA is necessarily a required part of that. But I still remember and love to, to joke about the fact that when I was a sophomore, I could not get into my locker in high school because the girl who had the locker next to me was always pressed up against it by her boyfriend and they were making out. And it, this happened every day between third and fourth hour, which drove me nuts because I had to stop at my locker at that point to exchange books over at that point in my day. And every day I asked them to move so I could get into my locker. And you'd think somewhere along the lines, they would realize that the bell's going to ring, they're going to go to her locker, they're going to lean up against mine, I'm going to show up 30 seconds later, ask them to move, get into my locker, get my books, and go on my way, and this is going to happen every single day. Yet, we still had to do this every single day, because no one out of the three of us was willing to change the routine. Now, I would have been happy to change my routine if they had redone my schedule, so that I wouldn't have to visit my locker at that point. But uh, you'd think the easier fix would be they could, you know, I don't know, lean against her locker or maybe go two or three lockers down and lean there. I don't know. So maybe maybe that's why I never really got too close to girls or at least got too affectionate with them in public in high school was uh, concerns about that. Anyway, so that was kind of like my random thought on the week. Um, some other interesting things that have come up. The... Uh, I was reading online. I'm, I'm on a couple of different blogs. Uh, Slashdot's one of them. It's not exactly a reputable source by any realm of the imagination, but it's there. And uh, sometimes good things do come down it from time to time. And there was an article this week. Oh, wait a minute. Well, now I'm going to look. Maybe it wasn't Slashdot. I, maybe it was something else. So I'm scanning down it now. Not that list. Not that list. Uh, not that one, or that one. Ah, here it was. Um, yeah, it came down the pipeline on education.zdnet.com. 
It's uh, one of the uh, blog feeds that I, uh, I'm subscribed to. And uh, they were talking about increasing funding for math and science educators. Oh, no, this is a different article. This is something else. This is the one that says the Senate is finally ready to fund math and science education. Uh, it was first reported over on CNET News. And that is that Harry Reid and Mitch McCowell are going to be uh, calling for a summit to examine the health and direction of United States science and technology enterprises, which is going to include uh, funding NASA, funding the National Science Foundation, all kinds of other great stuff. Now, what's, what's fun with this, and, and why I, part of the reason I bring it up, there are two really interesting tidbits that come off it. Uh, it was actually a Slashdot article, I, I'm remembering it right now, that said that in California, they were going to be paying math and science teachers more. If you were qualified as a math or science teacher, they were going to up your pay, you know, usually a, a grade or two, or offer bonuses, or, or something along those lines. And, yep, the union shot it down. So there was no way they were going to allow teachers in certain disciplines to get paid more than those in other disciplines. Which, you know... I'm a union man. I'm a union rep in my building, so there's a little part of me that says, you know, union good, union good, union good. And in a lot of ways, I support that. Because I do think that if we were to say these teachers get paid more just because of what they teach, that there's some inherent headache coming there. And that's not necessarily fair. It's not necessarily appropriate. Um, but on the other side of the coin, You've got two people who, at, at their senior year of high school, have completed AP Physics, AP Calculus, AP Chemistry. They are taking Advanced English. They are going on to college, and they are incredibly gifted, technical, mathematically-minded people. Now, they look at each other and go, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And one says, I'm going to be a teacher. Well, what's the other one going to say? You're going to get advice like, why would you do that? You work nonstop. Oh, yeah, you get your summers off, but you need that to work some other job to make up the pay difference. You know, you're going to be working nights practically. Your, your weekends are gone because you're going to grade papers. You're going to put up with teenagers all day. And let's face it, teenagers these days are pretty honest. They know that they can be a handful, which is part of what makes them fun to work with. And you're going to get all kinds of advice saying, no, don't go into teaching. You're, quote, too smart to become a teacher. And so the, the teacher planning buddy says, well, what are you going to do to his friend? His friend says, well, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be an architect. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be a business executive. And what's painful with this job, I think, at least in the state I'm in now, that's the great state of Michigan, is that it's true. Teachers get paid far less than these other white-collar professions, um, especially for the amount of education we get. And so... We've got this other guy who probably would make a great math teacher, but when you know when you when you throw down with it all, is could be making up to three times as much money take home pay if he were willing to go out be an engineer or be an architect or be a business manager. There's just more money in it, and so there's a part of me that says, hey, maybe we need to to investigate how to get people who are talented in these disciplines out there teaching them. I don't know if that's necessarily solved by paying them more. Say, oh, you're a math teacher. Here's your math teacher bonus. Or, oh, we're really sorry. We've, we've got lots of English teachers to choose from. We're not going to pay you as much. So here's your starting salary. Because that's not necessarily good. In fact, they tell you with any job, never talk to anybody else 
about what they make. It's considered rude. Um, and I've always, often told my students when they say, hey, how much do you make? And one of the first things out of my mouth is, never ask someone what they make. It's a rude question. If you're going to inquire about what someone makes in their profession, ask them if they can give you a range of salaries that they could expect doing the same job. So that you're discussing in relative terms, you're not actually saying, well, do you make $75 an hour? Do you make $30 an hour? Because that's, that's never going to go well. But teachers talk. I mean, we've got the teacher's lounge. It will, we will always have a teacher's lounge. And if we don't have a teacher's lounge, we'll gossip in the halls. We'll whisper in the classroom. We'll, we'll find out. And the minute you start paying someone more, someone else is going to say, wait a minute. You know, that Mr. O over there, he doesn't work nearly as hard as I do. And he gets paid more just because he's a math teacher. And that's, that's not good. Teaching is such a collaborative effort, at least it should be, that we can't risk that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. I'm kind of, the jury's out on that. Now, I also commented that there's the perception we're underpaid. I don't know if it's a perception. I think we're underpaid. Uh, I really know we're underpaid. I got a stack of bills here. I got to fill out still tonight and, and get out, which has been expedited by some wonderful technology options. I do online banking, just got into it. Very fun. And, um... My uh, my wife's boss sent home an article in the Wall Street Journal, of all places, uh, where it addresses the myth of the underpaid teacher. And uh, and I found that particularly amusing. In fact, the, the sub-headline was $34.05 an hour underpaid, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And he then goes on, the, the author of the piece talks about the fact that Teachers, if you consider 180 days a year and you consider six hours a day, make more than most other white-collar professionals for their level of experience. And I read this, and I, I, I kind of looked over his math again. His math was sound. and um, But then he goes on to say, the problem is you can't allow, you can't consider teacher pay as a salary over the year. You have to consider it as an hourly wage for the hours worked and that teachers lie about how underpaid they are because they have all of this vacation time that you have to allot for. And it's true. We do get tons of vacation time. We get a week at midwinter break. We get a week at Christmas. We get a week at Easter. We get three months in the summer. We get long weekends here. We get long weekends there. And I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's just us as educators that we feel we deserve them. <laughs> I mean... I feel like if I'm going to come in and teach a full day's lessons, and then I'm going to stay for another eight hours that night at conferences, that, you know, a day off to make up for it is kind of should be in there somewhere. Now, the week at Christmas, okay, it's nice to have that time with family. It's nice to be able to travel. Except a lot of other professionals are able to get a couple of days at Christmas. You know, my father worked in the auto industry, and he always had time off around Christmas that he was able to take. No, he saved it. He stockpiled vacation days so that he could take the time off between Christmas and New Year's. And his vacation days didn't carry over, so there was no incentive to hold on to them. There was no need to say, hey, I want to keep this time off to the side. Uh, I'm going to stock up a bunch of vacation days. If his days weren't used on the first of the year, they were gone. Poof. So he would save as much as he could, and then he would just take them all off at the end, which most of the guys at the office did. In fact, there was one year, I remember when I was in high school, he went in during that block of time because he either didn't have enough vacation days to have them all off or, you know, he felt like he was needed. And he came home at like noon, said there was no point in being there. There was me and three other people. 
and you know there were no meetings to be had because most people were gone. Uh, I started working on a couple of projects, but I needed to ask people some questions, and they weren't here to ask. So I shot off a couple of emails, and that was the end of my day. And so you know, not everyone else you know gets the time off obviously around the holidays, but a lot of professionals do. Now the summer off, yeah, that that's a perk. But to be honest, I trade it off. I trade off happily, especially if we could get up to that $34 an hour this guy claims we make. Because in the grand scheme of things, what do you do with your summer? I mean, there's lots of jobs we can take, but really, what kind of satisfying, intellectually-based, challenging job is there that you can do just for three months of the year? Not one that you're going to be doing three months of the year and then part-time during the school year, because that, that usually doesn't fly. Um... My wife suggested I work for a temp company, which, okay, yeah, it's, I could do it. I could do temp work. Sure, no problem. But at the same time, I'm going down to being the substitute to the lowest man on the totem pole. I mean, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that intellectually. Uh, you can teach summer school, but there's only so many summer school spots available. Uh, teach driver's ed. Uh, I might have to start doing that because that's about the only viable option I've got so far. Landscaping. I sunburn way too easy to work outside. Uh, I've worked retail a few times. It's not bad, but it's not exactly lucrative. You know, it gets you some extra spending money. So, I mean, there are options, obviously. But I think that the author of this piece to say that teachers are expected to use that time to make additional income is kind of missing the point. Never mind the fact that when do we do most of our continuing education? In the summers. When do we do a lot of our lesson planning for the year? In the summers. I mean, there's just so much stuff that we do that it seems kind of unfair. He also goes on to say, oh, you know, teachers don't really work that much at night anyways. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay, whatever. Uh, I got to disagree with that one. I can't imagine any of my coworkers don't take papers home to grade or don't end up grading them on weekends or don't do the, the time-honored tradition of, honey, tell you what, um, if I grade these, can you enter them in the computer for me while I watch TV? I mean, okay, maybe you don't do that, but let's face it, we enlist our spouses, we enlist our children, we enlist our friends and neighbors if they happen to be around. It's just part of the job because there's just so much paperwork to do. So it, it seems really odd that he says that bringing work home is part of the modern professional experience. I don't know about you guys that are listening, but I know my dad never brought that much work home. I know my sister doesn't bring that much work home. Now, my sister is on call. She's a plant engineer, and, you know, if something explodes, the, her phone number literally is tacked on every machine so that if anything goes wrong, they call her immediately. So, okay, yeah, she does get calls at funny hours on weekends and all that jazz, but uh, I think there's a pretty big difference between bringing home 120 math quizzes to grade versus, you know, being on call for an emergency. And it just doesn't seem to be on the same page. So he spends a good amount of time, you know, lamenting that and, and all of that, which the article closes with an interesting point. And this kind of leads into probably what I'm going to be talking about next week, because it'll be the big thing for the week. And that is that in districts that allow for merit pay for standardized test scores, test scores have gone up. Uh, this is big down in the south. I, I want to say it's Arkansas. Uh, might be Alabama. Um, but they have, I believe, a statewide 
institution of merit pay for standardized test achievement. Now it's a bonus system. So if your kids do well on the standardized test, you get a bonus. It's not one where your pay grade, I believe, is based on it. So it's not like you could you could plan for it, but it would be stupid to plan for it. I mean, I've never been a big fan of planning for bonuses or planning for tax rebates. I mean, we're going to get a tax rebate. Oh, God, it's gonna it's spent already because we got some credit card debts to clear and all that good stuff. But the idea, though, of, of, of budgeting for a, a bonus is kind of dangerous. Anyhow, um, they're finding that in these states, test scores really do go up, which he makes it sound like that's the end-all, be-all of saving education. Hey, let's go out there and pay teachers more if their kids do well on standardized tests. Well, i got to wonder, how much are these kids really learning math? How much are these kids really learning English or grammar? Uh, how many of these kids really get the life cycle? Um, of of an animal, or really get uh, ecology and how animals all interact, or how many of these kids get stoichiometry, or the periodic table of the elements and what makes it so elegant and so beautiful. I mean, it really is when it boils down. How many of these kids get proofs? I mean, we're teaching proofs in math right now. My kids hate them. Every day I'm entertaining the question, are we done with proofs yet? No. Well, when are we going to be done? Not yet. And and so, how many of these kids get that? How many of them get the elegance of a well-structured argument? They do well on standardized tests? Sure, that's great. But is that what we want as a society? Do we want our children to be good test takers? Is that the future of America? Because I can tell you, if you're going to offer me a bonus for having my kids do well on the Michigan Merit Exam next week, oh, my kids are going to do great on that test because I'm dumping my curriculum. My curriculum will be test prep. And that's just the smart thing to do. If that's what you're going to judge me against, that's what I'm going to achieve on. Especially if you tell me these kids, not only not only am I going to get my merit pay, but these kids have more stakes on these tests. But is that what we want as a focus? And it scares the bejeebas out of me to listen to politicians go on and on and on and on and on and on about how we need to do more testing. We need more standardized tests. We need more chances to prove that our kids are learning what we want them to learn. That's a frightening thought because sooner or later, I'm not going to be the only teacher who says, hey, we need to dump curriculum in favor of test prep. These kids need to learn how to take standardized tests. These kids need to learn the ideas that are going to be on the test. They learn, need to learn how to read the test. And now it's true, there are other ways to raise test scores. I'm taking a, a graduate class online right now. I'll talk about it probably, you know, other shows. But um, one of the big things they point out to us is standardized test scores can come up just through good teaching. Uh, similarities and differences is one of the ones that Marzano, who's one of the, the authors of the, one of the books we're using, really emphasizes. Teaching kids to recognize the difference of differences and similarities in two things, and how to structure their thoughts. The idea of making lists of, of alike and different and all of that really does raise test scores. So you can raise test scores without dumping good teaching and without dumping the teaching of content. But let's face it, folks, if we're going to tell people this is the rubric on which we touch, and more importantly, this is the rubric that you're going to be paid on, more and more teachers are going to shift to that paradigm. They're going to go away from their content and worry about the test. And that's scary, because I don't think we can fault any one of them for doing that. I mean, we have bills to pay. We have families to feed. Well, in my case, I have a wife and four cats. But um, that's, our, I mean, that's what we have. 
That's that's the rubric we're going to be judged on. And it's frightening to see someone who's not an educator sit back there in his ivory tower of journalistic academia and say, here's how you fix it. But anyway, I've rallied against him enough. Uh, he'll probably come up a few more times just because he's such a fun article to poke fun at. But, you know, we're I've been here for half an hour with you guys. Uh, my pint's almost empty. And if I don't get home to the wife, she's going to start to wonder what's what's keeping me. So... Like I said, I'm going to mosey. Uh, you can feel free to hang around a bit. Have another round on me. Uh, just make sure on your way out you tip the uh, bar girl. She's been working long week, too. And uh, for them, it's just really getting started with the weekend rush. If you uh, get an idea you want to share, you like what you're hearing, or you want to comment on something I've mentioned, feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, you can find me at, at fnpteacher at yahoo.com. So that's like Friday night pints teacher, but FNP teacher at yahoo.com and uh, give it a read and maybe talk about it next week or the week after and we'll see what happens. Uh, feel free to comment on the blog at the website. It's going to be strictly for the podcast. I'm not planning on doing any other blogging there, but feel free to leave comments if you want to and everyone can read them immediately. Well, more or less, they're moderated. And um, that would be at fnp.podbean.com So like Friday night pints. So, um, that's it for the week. Uh, make sure you guys, uh, like I said, tip the girls on your way out and uh, drive carefully. Oh, and uh, before I go, one last thing to mention. If you uh, like the music on both sides of this show, it's uh, put on by a band called The Great Big C. Uh, there's a link on the uh, show notes for you to, if you want to pursue it and check them out. They are a great group of guys that put on some really great music, and I really appreciate them giving me permission to use it in this context. So anyway, all right. Now, now, I'm out of here. And like I said, guys, tip the girls and drive carefully. Come along, come along, you jolly brave boys. There's a lot so grog in the jar. Put a plow the briny ocean with the jolly rolling tar.